Welcome to the Curiosity Club podcast, here to reschool us all in the things that really matter. I'm your host, founder of the Curiosity Club and certified life coach, Katri Barrett. Each episode, I speak to special guests asking the awkward and important questions so you don't have to. Each season, we focus on diving into a topic from our curious curriculum self, mental health, sex, relationships, work, money, and a whole lot more. This is the podcast where we have the conversations needed to remove the shame, stigma, and feel less alone in the experiences that we all have in common. Are you curious? Pull up a chair and join us. Welcome back, curious folks. For episode two of season three, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with founder of the Anti-Diet Riot Club, Becky Young. The Anti-Diet Riot Club has some incredible attributes to its name, from meeting with Sadiq Khan to hosting a body positive festival in London and launching an online membership platform. They tackle the growing body image problem in the UK from a cultural and political angle. Becky's passion in feminism, political movements and social justice is evident in all of her work and in particular our conversation today. In this episode, we talk about Becky's journey with body image struggles that led her to create the Anti-Diet Riot Club. The problem with finding a sense of identity with the way that you look that is so rewarded within our society... And Becky also explains what diet culture is, the fascinating historical origins of it, and how it has evolved from the heroin chic trends of the 90s to the unexpected but no less insidious ways it shows up today. In particular, the link between toxic wellness and diet culture. Together, we also explore the importance of working on your mindset and how you can separate your sense of self-worth and happiness from your appearance. And like with all my other guests in this season, I also asked Becky what were her life lessons that she wished she'd been taught in school. And I am so pleased that she shared what we did because I think it's a really important one for us all. If you're not subscribed or following the Curiosity Club podcast yet, then make sure you do so now whilst you're listening. And I would love for you to take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram stories, tagging us so that we can hear what resonates with you most. I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, welcome, Becky. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I am great. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this. I know, I'm, I'm so excited to dive into those life lessons that you wish, wish you'd learned in school. But why, to, to start things off, why don't you start by talking a little bit about kind of what has brought you to the point that you are today with Anti-Diet Riot Club and, and any sort of big learnings you've had about yourself along the way? Um, I think... The journey that got me to sort of starting Anti-Diet Riot Club and doing this work around body acceptance, body justice, started, you know, in my in, in my youth when I was younger and started to have these feelings of being too big, taking up too much space, having a different body. I, I developed very early on compared to a lot of my peers. Um, you know, I got, I was the first one to have a bra, first one to get my period. I had like boobs at the age of 10. You just don't need boobs. No one needs boobs then. <laughs> um, and it really, it, I also had, um, a disability. So I had, I have a bone condition called fibrous dysplasia, which meant I had lots of operations when I was younger and have a limp and walked with crutches sometimes and, um, couldn't join in and things like, you know, netball um or different PE classes so it just started to develop the sense that I was different um and you know when you're younger that's for some reason not seen as a good thing what that translated to is having a real like sense of 
dislike towards my body and my body shape, you know, comparing, this was the nineties. I was comparing it to like incredibly skinny, um, models and just very narrow version of what bodies look like on teen magazines, etc. Um, it was a totally different media landscape then. Um, and you know, I was comparing myself to my peers, you know, 12 year old girls who weren't developed yet. So everyone was very, very, very slim. Um, and when at about 13, I was like, I hate my body. I want to change it. I would cry about it. I would, you know, I, I was reading my diaries from, from these years the other day. And I was always, my new year's resolution was to lose weight. Um, even at the age of 12 and 13, by 14, I went on to, uh, the, I won't mention it, but you know, the most famous weight loss plan there is. And then I essentially for the next 15 years was on and off diet plans, verging from very extreme where I completely replaced all of my meals with powdered sachets. Oh God, that's a terrible time to, um, you know, doing awful weird juice cleanses or drinking cayenne pepper and water to like less obvious diet plans, but things in the more recent years where I was like fasting or doing clean eating. Um, so I've tried a lot of them and sometimes they worked in the short term and I would feel great and I, everyone would compliment me and I would, you know, I'd be on this high of like hunger and achievement and without a doubt, always the weight would come back or more. Um, and then I would feel like a failure and I would feel a lot of shame and my body image would be even worse than when I started and that cycle was just something I was going through in the background um, throughout my teens and early 20s. And, you know, I was I'm also a confident, outward, like, you know, outgoing person. Um, so a lot of this was a really like inner stuff, torment that was happening. And it kind of underpinned everything I did, like no matter how what I achieved, no matter how well I did at uni or like how great friends I made and great experiences underneath that would always be like, but you didn't lose the weight, but you got fat, but you, um, you know, you're not the idea of healthy that you want to be. Um, and yeah, it just, it was like this, this sort of, this horrible critical self-loathing thing that underpinned all of these great experiences. Um, and I know so many people relate to that. So I think that we're taught to feel so much shame around our bodies and to feel like we're a failure if these things don't work out. And I basically got to the age of 26, I think, and 26, 27, I was traveling in, in South America and I saw a picture of myself from the year before and I was really skinny and I'd put on loads of weight again, as you do. And I just fell into the pit of despair. I was so upset. I was crying. I remember just sobbing my eyes out this one night and, you know, I was supposed to be having a wonderful time traveling with my boyfriend at the time. And I decided I was going to go on another extreme diet. I was going to not drink alcohol. I was going to not eat cheese or um, any of the great foods I was going to get in Mexico. And I was going to work out two, two hours a day. And I went looking for fitspiration and thinspiration on Instagram. And I actually found, thank the Lord, um, 
women, mainly women, living unapologetically in fat bodies, like saying, no, I'm not going to diet. It doesn't work for me. It has all of these other effects on my mental health. It messes up my relationship with food and exercise. And here's all of this, like, research to back this up as well. And that just, I actually had already read a lot of fat activist work in my, at uni, because I did a, like, thesis around feminist movements and I'd read like seminal texts like you know fat is a feminist issue and the beauty myth and things like that and I'd it it had spoke to me but it had never thought I'd never sort of put two and two together thought that could like translate to how I live my life like that's a liberatory practice that I could benefit from I just was thought yeah yeah that's really great that happened in the past but you know I need to be thin because that's the only way to be happy and healthy and um finding this this sort of community, this movement, this talk of body positivity and body acceptance at a time when it was starting to get really, really big was just so, so such a like life-changing moment because I started to think, oh, that's the kind of person that I want to be. Um, I don't want to be the person who's like, you know, saying no to social engagements and agonizing over menus, like trying to find the thing that, you know, is the least calories and, um, you know, not, not, in, not, eating which I just think is such a joyful thing um and that was the kind of beginning of it um I started to research and read more and and then a few years later I was breaking up from that relationship going through heartbreak and you really, and you really needed like something to channel that energy into and I came up with the idea for anti Riot Club and the rest is history here we are and the amazing the entity community platform that is, is the anti-diet riot club and i thank you for i think it's to hear your story sort of in a nutshell like that i it's one as you said that so, uh, so many people i know will resonate to where if not all of it to parts of it i know for myself even though like very like different stories like just I'm sort of nodding along as you were speaking as things like growing up in the 90s both of us with that size zero you know role model plastered everywhere and kind of for most of us most people it was striving for a body type that was never possible without kind of it was never naturally possible and it's that that kind of striving in the diet culture that I mean it's still around but it's cha it's changed slightly and, and as you know the, you, I laughed as smart as you said the the uh, cayenne pepper lemon juice hot water I remember trying that one as well like that I read that somewhere tried it um and I think that 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 all-consumingness that comes around when your body image and you're sort of you're seeking for you're seeking identity or finding identity in the way that you look which I think so it's so insidious and it's still so ingrained in so many people and whilst I and, I, and it sounds like you as well have, we've kind of, you made progress for yourself, but I'm so hyper aware now of how often around us and around me still now, pretty much all people, but especially women in my life still, there's that throwaway passing comments of, oh, I look fat in that photo or, oh, I look, oh my arm look big, so can we take that photo again? Or, oh, I need to lose weight, especially at the moment, you know, we're recording this during the pandemic. I think it's triggered a lot for people and, yeah, it's very much, there's been so much progress made, but it's very much such a, still a thing, isn't it? And there's it's so much progress to make. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, we, over the past three years that Anti-Right Club have been running events and workshops and stuff, we've definitely seen the, the ideas around anti-diet culture blossom and become 
more common, but it's still definitely on the fringe. And the majority of people, the mainstream status quo is still incredibly fat phobic because it's deep fear of fat and and often hatred towards fatness, fat people um, um, and people who are like, I don't care about being fat. Um, there's also a preoccupation and obsession with the thin still. So the thin ideal might have changed slightly. So it might be a bit more like have a big bum and you're allowed like curves in the right places, quotation. And you, um, you know, it might be more focused on like skin and things like that. But there's still this ideal and that, that sort of obsession with that. And it's still on the slim side, very much so. Um, and then also there's this kind of, you know, parallel obsession with health, with um, health being looking a certain way, with health being, I feel, um, you know, a lot of people are like, I just want to feel healthy, and which is really great. But it is coded in, I want to feel like fit. I want to feel, I want to look trim and thin, and that will make me feel healthy. Um, and there's also still, um, you know, the absolutely huge wellness culture, of which a lot of it might have good intentions and a lot of it is incredibly toxic. So there's like these, these different strands of diet culture that are still hugely prominent, but might not reflect like, you know, the kind of really overtly, you know, heroin chic ideals that we grew up with or the kind of you know, Weight Watchers have rebranded now and um, they're now like a wellness company. And so lots of things are trying to sort of like disguise itself, lots of elements of diet culture, um, kind of like a, yeah, uh, always trying to come up with new insidious ways that it can like take hold, but it's still definitely there. And I think when you get older, when you're, you know, past your mid-20s, maybe you get more tired of these things because you've been through it and you realise that actually though that's not a key to happiness. Um, and I find that with age, a lot more and more people do kind of realise with the kind of information that we're providing that is more out there now that um, there is another way to live. But it's still, it's still got a lot of people trapped in it. I mean, I live in a bubble, so I'm actually protected from a lot of that. And I still, you know, face it. But there are some people who have never thought that there is another way of living apart from every Monday starting a new diet and every weekend feeling shit because you didn't you didn't stick to your diet. And that's a way of life for millions and millions and millions of people and especially millions of women. Mm, absolutely. And I think it's that that the kind of unknowing the falling into these patterns and being so influenced by diet culture that almost you don't you for so many people that's not really even knowing that that's what it is or knowing mm. what that's like with the comments and as you it's kind of as you were describing that it's like it's like diet culture masquerading in different ways and and wellness I think is a big part of it it's something as someone who's worked in wellness for the last five years the last few years I have found myself almost intentionally distancing myself from that because I found it too you know, toxic wellness something you yeah. said that like you've got to be perfect you've got to eat clean you've got to eat um you know, green juices and if your lifestyle isn't this certain way it you're deemed to be flawed and I think that's something I resist so much because ultimately it's not about changing your flaws it's about 
not seeing your flaws as flaws they're like we all have elements of ourselves that are across a whole spectrum whether it's our physical the way we look whether it's our personality whether it's all of these things and for me it's about embracing that whole view of ourselves without kind of that black or white thinking of it's good or it's bad labeling those those things but I think you can't do that unless you're aware of it at first yeah if you if you're aware and if you're curious so like I love the idea of curiosity being something to to uh celebrate because when you start asking questions like why do I feel this way and why do I put myself through this why do I feel like this is like healthy means this why do I think the beautiful means this why do I feel bad if I eat these things um because if you're not if you're not taking the time to like interrogate this stuff within you yeah you're not being aware you're just letting letting a lot of the social norms influence you unknowingly um you're not you're not trying to work out how I want to live like what's authentic for me rather than following always these external rules or reading the magazine article and just saying, yeah, I can apply that to my life. You know, you just hear there's this constant bombardment of messages about how we should eat, how many eggs to eat a week, how we should exercise, what's the best fat loss burning thing, you know, what's the next length of hours that we shouldn't, that we should be fasting in a day. God, and it's, it's all conflicting and it's always been like this. Diet culture has its roots in the Protestant um, uh, sort of like the white Protestant culture of the late 1800s, early 1900s, which was literally these white men coming up with every single month, a different way of getting closer to God, being more pure, being more Protestant, being, um, you know, more worthy and, you know, eating, eating just graham crackers. You know, that has, it's, that was, the original diet product or you know having a bath daily and drinking like um drinking milk all of the time um to having absolutely no salt and pepper and spice and eating this kind of like diets is always conflicting not evidence-based always based on the sort of like opinion and personal experiences of whoever's writing it because probably maybe it works for them maybe it makes them feel good but everyone is different but we hear all these messages like this is the best way to live this is the best way to get healthy this is the best way to get fit this is the best way to live a pure in life and this will help your health and you won't get cancer from this and and it's like you can't there's no one size fits all this is nonsensical to just be peddling it's because they want to make money so they peddle it as the cure as the fix to um for everyone um, and not what we try and peddle, and I think what people who are doing work, which is trying to step away from that, is like the the uh, there's no cure, but a good way to go is to like think about what works for you and to tr- experiment, to trial and error, and see what works for you, and give yourself a break if it doesn't work, and um, don't beat yourself up because applying these external rules is probably never going to fit your life exactly. And that's just like empowering people to make their own decisions mm-hmm. rather than buy this because my plan is the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think it's that curiosity that you said, which obviously we're in alignment with and we're big fans of over here. But I think for people who maybe are una- in that space of being unaware of it, I think it's that question of asking yourself the step before being curious is, is acknowledging that if you're constantly putting off 
your life, whether that's I'll be happy when I do this, whether it's I'll be confident when I lose 10 pounds or I'll, you know, always putting off something into the future. I think that's when there's like a sign and that's a maybe a symptom that you could benefit from asking yourself, actually, what is going on here? And and ultimately, and as you and I know, and so many people know, listen to this, who have done that yo-yo dieting or and have been someone whose weight's fluctuated and ultimately you I don't know about you I'm speaking for myself here at the time even when I've weighed the least I've never still didn't feel confident I still didn't feel good about my my body and until I kind of learned how to not place my worth on the way that I look and and not even you know not even it's not about for me being positive about my body it's just about not focusing on on that on on it at the the appearance the aesthetics it's like you know being grateful for the things you know that I that I can see things not very well because I'm very short-sighted but you know the views that I've seen the places that I've been you know in that body neutrality acceptance I think um but I don't know if you would agree how much you agree with that um yeah I I completely agree I think that we think that losing weight or changing our bodies or or achieving some sort of body goal will help our body esteem so how we think about our body but actually what we're still doing is placing the hat like um placing our sense of self our self-esteem in the hands of something as arbitrary as the way we look and when we get to that goal we realize we we probably want to go further we're probably still not satisfied and we probably have caused ourselves a lot of stress through trying to achieve that goal which doesn't help your body original self-esteem um and you're placing so much emphasis on the way you look so there's always going to be something new and so you probably just still feel exact either worse or exactly the same in terms of negatively about your body it's not until you change the mindset of like my body is the most important thing about me or my body needs to change before I can be happy or only only if I'm thin will I be attractive and beautiful only until you change that mindset will your body image alleviate in that sense and then you'll still have bad days there's no cure um but at least you'll be able to remind yourself okay no I have worth and value completely separate from the way I look or even my health status or even my um you know my relationship status like none of those things have a bearing on how like what a great person I am or how worthy I am or how happy I'm allowed to be or how much respect I deserve none of them affect that um and yeah changing your changing your mindset is the is really the thing that we should be focused on not changing our bodies as well as changing the world I mean you know the reason why we we're so scared of being fat and like afraid of having a body that isn't deemed attractive is because we set you know we live in a culture that's incredibly fat phobic incredibly cruel to fat people and you know fat people are the brunt of every joke and are uh, harassed on the street and um are you know all only play the sort of like sassy comedic characters in movies so of course we're like scared of but we don't want to be that we, we want to protect ourselves from that treatment we also live in a world that places like the male gaze and like the um the attraction of men and the patriarchy as the most important thing that um we can be so we often think yeah if we're not if we're not deemed attractive or you know if random trolls on the internet like want to show don't think I'm sexy then you know that I'm going to get less I'm going to get treated worse as well you know we have a huge pretty privilege in this world where um people who are closer to that ideal um still get trolled or still have 
um, uh, struggles. That's not to say they don't, but they have incredible amounts of privilege. Um, And so it's normal to feel bad about yourself or to have days where you have really poor self-image esteem. But when you're doing this work of trying to change your mindset and building up the tools to like deal with those days, it gets so much easier. I can pull myself back from the edge so much better. I'm not, I'm not in puddles crying like I used to be. You know, I don't have these big breakdowns where I'm saying like, I hate myself, I hate myself. Da, da, da. And some of that comes with age, but a lot of it comes with like having, having better emotional tools to deal with them. Mm, yeah the toolkit I think of developing that that's completely bespoke to each of us and our bodies and our lifestyle and our experiences I think that's so important and that's something I think you touched upon earlier which is so such a big part of this how that you that sense of identity and that realization that you're suddenly become sexualized and your body being different to other people starts especially for women I think at such a young age and starts at school but yet we're not equipped with the skills that that toolbox that could help us at school and that's you know this season obviously we're talking about a lot about what are the life lessons that we you know, might, I'm asking guests that they wish they learned at school so I'm really looking forward to hearing kind of what those those are for you so let us know dive in and tell us what you what would have been your kind of first thing that you wish you were taught in school what I wish I was taught in school I think so I you know I've been thinking about this obviously in preparation for this and I and I I do think that some things you have to learn through making the mistakes and through trial and error but that there's like a joy in there. There, there is like a, a joy of curiosity, of exploration in there, of of knowing that it's okay to make mistakes and to fuck up and to just try things out and experiment because everything is bespoke to you. What works for other people won't work for you, and and comparing yourself to other people's journey therefore isn't gonna benefit you in any way. So it's that kind of like. I wish I'd learned to like be a bit bolder in experimenting and to like not be so scared of failure. I think that's at school with, you know, success and achieving results and, you know, fulfilling the criteria is, is how you get through school. Um, I was really good at school. I wasn't like the hardest worker, but I was like, I could tick the boxes and I knew the loops, the hoops to jump through um, and I would do the bare minimum, but I would be good at doing that. And so I learned to get a lot of gratification out of success and out of like that validation from others. Um, and I wish I'd just like flopped more. I wish I'd like been allowed to to fuck up more and felt like fucking up was something that was actually quite fun. And you could like m- mistakes was like a really healthy, really productive, um, really uh, developmental process because I have had struggles with that with with failure and making mistakes and that perfectionism definitely was projected onto my body um so yeah I feel like that's kind of the the first thing I wish I was taught to not do it well <laughs> I, I'm so pleased that you said that I love that you said that and that actually it's not about like something it's the focus on like you can't learn everything and that's okay like how to be okay with making wrong decisions 
with messing up because if there's one certainty in your life it is that that is going to happen and I think for so many people it's like we're divided into different and as uh, different kind of types and in my life coaching practice this is something I see a lot and you've got the kind of high achieving kind of perfectionist who either have the, the capacity to not not do so much not have to put too much effort in but get great output or put in a lot of effort and get great output output or you get the people that are so afraid of things going wrong they don't even get started and that was like very much me so <laughs> but don't try you can't fail but ultimately the like the result is the same that when things do go wrong or they don't go according to plan or you don't get the result that you want especially if you're that perfectionist who's identified so much with success, the fall from that is so much harder to, to cope with than, than like the not trying, I suppose. I think for people, the people who have the procrastinators who haven't put the effort in and it's, but it's learning how to embrace the vulnerability that things are going to go wrong. And again, that doesn't define who you are. And I think it's interesting that you said how that perfectionism is, tied into and I think there's I don't know the stats off the top of my head but there's so many I think people who show perfectionist tendencies have a much higher um rate of of developing disordered eating I think that but anecdotally I find that to be very true um there's like a huge crossover with like people pleasing as well which I find and um yeah and I've definitely definitely in recent years being more aware of how my perfectionist people-pleasing tendencies play out in a lot of areas of my life, like body, relationships, general self-esteem, etc. Yeah. Yeah, no, it really does. It's not the, and this is something in my, again, with my, my, a lot of my work as a life coach is about perfectionism and how it's not that badge of honour, that it's not this positive thing. Yes, of course, achieving things is, is, is amazing. But when it comes, when your identity is so locked into it and therefore if anything goes wrong, you feel like such a big failure and less than, like it, it's so problematic in so many, many ways. But I mean, that's a whole other podcast. We can talk about that for a lot of times. Um, tell us what, what else, what what's, what's your next thing that, that you think would have been good to be aware of or focused on? I think probably I would have liked to have been taught how to be a bit more media savvy to, to, to question more what I was seeing around me. Um, I actually was taught by my dad to challenge a lot of things and I, that's really helped me, but it would have been great to have unpicked a lot of that in school with like peers to, to to question these images that we were being fed the messages that we were being given um to learn earlier on than I did that that certain images certain lifestyles certain um portrayals of lives had a huge impact on me and comparing myself so one of the first steps towards trying to unlearn diet culture and trying to like maybe bring yourself out of this really toxic relationship with food and bodies is definitely to curate the images that you have control over that you're seeing around you. So like what you're seeing on social media, the kind of people that you're following on Instagram, the kind of like, you know, boards that you're following on Pinterest or, um, you know, if you're, if you still buy magazines, like what you're buying, etc. Cause you don't have so much control over like ad space and, um, you know what you're seeing on the telly but you do have some control nowadays which we didn't have when I was younger um, and it only it's only been the last four years that I've really realized okay seeing these types of images has this effect on me and that's it's it's not I don't need to live 
life always having this like subconscious effect my subconscious is absorbing all of these images without me knowing um making them um I'm not sure making them but they become the norm and therefore I look at my body and feel like that's abnormal that process I wasn't aware of when I was younger Uh, we weren't I think nowadays kids are kind of taught about like that subliminal messaging but I I really I really wasn't and so it's taken me a long while um and yeah for anyone listening I think that you know if you're still following people even friends if you're still you can uh, you can restrict so that they don't come up on your feed but if you're still scrolling through social media and like going oh their life's better than mine or god look at their body and starting zooming in and then starting to go and look at all of their other body pictures or um that's that you don't need that in your life take that away take away those those bits of comparison follow people who make you feel inspired and creative and accepted and like bon- like vulnerability is normal I think that's been a huge lesson for me mm, and, I, and I suppose that's a huge positive that we can choose now more so the, the media that we're consuming and I think it goes so far as well beyond not just social media but also like what are you watching what are the tv programs you're watching and how do they make you feel are you constantly comparing yourself to the people in them or even i've noticed because it's something similarly it's taken a long time for me to realize and in the last year i think i've really been aware of the media beyond social media i think i came to that first and it's unfollowed accounts and followed more accounts that make me feel good but more so like especially like tv it's but in this last year during the pandemic where that you know i've had my social life everything's been through the like, through the screen and through the tv i've been so aware of how, what i watch and how it makes me feel especially kind of feeling anxious and being like oh the, if anything was at all like a stressful program i wanted feel good programs all of those sort of things but that's so important i think to notice what are you consuming through whether it's you know what you watch on tv whether it's the conversations you're having with friends and people around you how much of that is focused on the way that you look and feeding into your insecurities and how can you have who do you need to surround yourself with who do you what do you need to watch more of or less of or listen to in podcasts that leaves you feeling empowering I think that's so important like you said what's your do you have any other points that you any other sort of main things that you wish you'd learned I wish I'd learned that sleep is like one of the most important things that you can get and for your health and for your well-being and genuinely, I'm learning this in the past, since the pandemic. I think that I have been a serial sleep avoider. Um, and like part of that was like my identity, I guess. I love staying up late, I love partying. Like I always thought it was a night owl. And, and parts of that is true. I, I do get creative at night and I can stay up late and, and work quite well sometimes. But I also love waking up early. So, um, and early is not even early for me, but having a good night rest and making sure I'm getting enough rest in the week, it just makes me feel so much better. I was so grumpy this morning just because I didn't get enough. I went to bed later and I was still waking up early and I just felt like, God, I'm. this is so important for me. I didn't ever realise how much better I function um, and how much better I feel about myself generally when I'm well-rested so do you don't realize do you, until you've done the thing you're like oh that's why I've been feeling that's why I've been feeling so rubbish I think I've I've someone that's I've always known I've needed sleep even when I'm in my partying day hedonistic days when I tried as hard as I could to stay up all night with my friends it would all 
I would be awful to be around. So and I, it's just getting, that's just getting more, ideally 10 p.m. bedtime for me, great, mm-hmm. <laughs> up early. But it is so important. It's hard, it's a hard one, I think, to prioritize because it can somehow sometimes even feel like rest can feel kind of self-indulgent but prioritizing that is so important isn't it yeah I think um it probably ties into so much other um evolution in my life around productivity and work and um not basing my my sense of worth on how much work I was doing or you know my success I think I've redefined success in a lot of ways for myself. Yeah, it used to be very achievement focused and work focused. And and now, now I just know I'm I'm 31 now. And, you know, I thought like, oh, well, I'll settle down by that time. And I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be in my career and I'm still, I'm still just floating. I'm still just working it all out. And I definitely think I will be for, for a good few years to come. Um, and I, I, prob- I probably won't be the type of person to find one career and stick to it. I think I'll always be changing and switching it up and trying new things. And there's a like I'm very lucky to, um, you know, have a sense of security with my family and stuff that I, you know, even if I lost everything, my mum would take me in. So there's a real privilege there. Um, but I, 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 I contain so many multitudes, and I used to think that being in sort of jill of all trades was a really bad thing but actually you know it's going to make my life interesting and I'll, I'll get new projects to work on um and I don't need to stick to one thing and just like climb up the ladder and and, and see that as success and that maybe you know the great experiences the great friendships the um like the amount of times I've loved and fallen out of love you know those are like the markers of success rather than well I mean up until a few years ago my only marker of success was like you know whether I had abs or you know no bingo wings really so they <laughs> but also also work and career and all that stuff that really I just <laughs> I like that that's a reminder I think or, or like a takeaway for people to just define what success means for you now and it's okay that that is going to change and and it means something different to each of us. And I think defining that and being brutally honest with yourself, whether that is your definition of success or, or actually is that so-and-so's or your parents or someone from school or societies and actually what is your definition? Yeah, and, and, and are you defining that success in that way? Because you think that looks good to other people. Like, that's what I find myself doing a lot. Like, oh, I, I mean, I would love to just travel and you know, live sort of like a semi-hippie bum life forever. Um, <laughs> one day settling down and, you know, making roots. I, I've got roots, so I'm lucky in London, but, um, you know, I, I always like to just like venture out. Um, but like, will that look like I'm just floating and, you know, being uncommitted and being being like a Peter Pan trying constantly trying to chase my youth and all those kind of things I I that thought process of like well, what would that look like god I just really will stop having that thought process completely probably social media really does not help the fact that there exists a platform where we're constantly projecting our lives to other people um so I probably would need to leave social media in order to have that stop having that thought process which which might happen one day to be honest I feel like if you know in an ideal world I would just leave Instagram 
but obviously right now for the work that I do it's really important and I love connecting with the people there but um yeah just stop that comparison or stop that like I don't know what's that process of like self like it's not self-objectifying it's like um trying to assume what you think other people think about you and then making your decisions on that I don't know if that has a has a term but it's it's the the mind reading of other people and like Mm. shaping yourself on how you think other people perceive you and I think that is uh, that is an important reality check for all of us all of the time being to be mindful of within ourselves whether it's as we're scrolling whether it comes to and as you know both you and I have uh, are are people who share for our kind of work on, on social media and that I think is such a big part of for everyone thinking why why am I sharing this what's the purpose am I curating it because I'm worried or what other people are, say, are saying or censoring it or what other people might think. And that goes from when you're getting dressed in the morning, are you getting dressed for yourself? When you're sharing on social media, when you're speaking, are you speaking your truths or are you speaking because you're like filtering what you're saying because you're worried about what people will say? It's, I think being aware of that, all of us in our everyday is so important, confronting, but so, but so important. Yeah, I mean, even admitting that is really hard for people to admit that like you know we're not always living authentically um it's really hard to live authentically to live for yourself to 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 define things in, on your own terms because obviously we're social beings we, we we nothing is nothing is in a vacuum or out of context anyway we, we can't ever do it completely authentically we're not born on a desert island and just like raising ourselves um but it's it's not common for people to totally to really reveal like so much of what I do is about projecting a certain image or um you know making it seem a certain way to to my peers or to the rest of society absolutely and that that authentic that kind of which is such a buzzword isn't it like be your authentic self it's almost that in itself has become inauthentic and it's checking in with that it's like you we're striving for something that we can never in be living existing in the societies that we live in it's almost impossible if not impossible to actually ever be truly your authentic self you'd have to go and detach yourself from all of society which I don't want to do I don't want to never see my family or friends or I love I like I like living in London and around people the influence that has but it's being aware of it and learning ways and tools and techniques that can help you manage that (laughs) yeah I think um even you know the kind of body acceptance journey that a lot of people I'm so grateful are going on like even that can become a pressure that people put on themselves that they need to like perform body love they need to perform um confidence or they need to perform like they love that they're really you know accepting and neutral about their body when when they're not or they need to perform authenticity they need to perform vulnerability because those are the markers of someone who is being you know more real or like less living in the trappings of diet culture um yeah it's really hard to like hard slash impossible to remove yourself completely from those things but being curious about it helps <laughs> exactly and just yeah asking yourself questions all the time checking in and that yeah foundation of curiosity the state if we could all work to it all right well I could I could talk to you forever and ever and go about many of these these things but to come to the kind of questions I like to close and ask everyone who was your favourite teacher in, in your life and, and why? <laughs> um, I think that I have two. So 
one was my year four teacher who was just who symbolized care and compassion in a way that I'd never experienced from a teacher um that I remember I'm sure when I was really really young but it was was, there was so much emphasis on creativity and like being honest about your feelings and having space for that I just remember that whole year being you know you just spend a lot of time with your form teacher because you're young you're in primary school and I just remember that being a peak moment in my um my childhood because she miss Carr, her name was she was lovely and then the sort of like polar opposite but um but equally as uh impactful I think was oh my god I forgot his name Oh, no, that's terrible. <laughs> um, he was a teacher, a politics tutor that I had at Sixth Form College. So I was like 17, 18. And he was a ex-army Israeli guy who was didn't take any shit and um, was almost like sort of uh, non-compassionate. Um, that was his MO. Um, but fostered like a real sense of debate like every class was just a debate we just he sometimes taught on a presentation but it was all about fostering conversation people disagreeing like arguments but like in a healthy way and he also saw my love to argue (laughs) and put me forward no what came up to me and suggested that I go to this like uh, meeting that people uh, were people who were interested in applying to Oxbridge and I had no desire to go to university I really just wanted to go to Australia where I had my where I had some family there and live there and work there um and he you know I went to a sixth form college of like 1200 people so and most people weren't applying to Oxbridge but um he sort of saw something in me and I went and I ended up going to Oxford so that was pretty like seminal I would have had a very different life I reckon I love that, 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 what the polar opposites of that, that nurturing kind of kind, compassionate and how important that is, but actually how having someone, especially a role model who could encourage you to, it sounds like there, that was that teacher that embraced you to the sort of question to whether to, to, and also to be open to um, not seeing like arguing or debating as a, as a bad thing. And I think that, I wish I'd had that instilled in me. I've still now uh, tried to avoid conflict at all costs. It's something I work, I work, working towards improving for myself. But that's like, yeah. Interesting. I'm a big conflict avoider, but mine's not. I think I'm debates is okay for me. Like I'm used to, I, I'm quite tactful, um, even with people who have really, you know, really annoyed, frustratingly basic non-thought-out arguments which I really I I can like be compassionate and like we can have a conversation I have a real problem with confronting people I love um and people I care about and and having those really difficult conversations like I really avoid that I'm such a mediator I'm such a peacemaker if I could just avoid all of those situations I would my my sort of like nervous system would love that but I know that it's the healthier option to just sometimes have those difficult conversations but whew, my Libra my Libra side does not like it it doesn't like it and I think I suppose that's it you maybe think as you're speaking then seeing it 
like not labeling things or as as de- like the healthy debate or confrontation and how actually even if it is someone you care really care about why can't that just be a healthy debate why is it why is it labeled as confrontational and argumentative and I suppose that's an interesting I'm going to reflect on that one <laughs> <laughs> a little, home, little self-homework yeah. there a little homework for me there <laughs> a little bit of nostalgia now for my next question what was your favorite school dinner Ooh, that's a good one I think jacket potatoes, beans, cheese, coleslaw, all the way. That's 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 just a never. It never gets old. Oh, meat! That was mine. That was absolutely mine. not the coleslaw though. Though I, that's that's an added extra. Where can people find you? So I, I, currently, our website is under maintenance, but it might be finished by the time this comes out. So www.antidietrightclub.co.uk is where our website is, but. Instagram we're big on so that's Antidote Riot Club we're on Twitter it's Antidote Riot um we are at the moment launching our um opening the doors to our private community membership platform which is called Antidote Riot Community that's an amazing space away from Instagram um but still has like a great community lively feed lots of events and um great content and also I just wanted to shout out that we're doing a five-day summit called the Body Riot Weekender in May for International No Diet Day, which we're trying to turn into International No Diet Week. And um, we've got, you know, every day there's loads of sessions with incredible speakers and experts around body justice and sexuality and um, some live uh, cooking classes and movement workshops. Um, and yeah, so there's going to be really interesting conversations happening there and it's free, so amazing you've heard it here everyone go and i'll link in the show notes as well the links to all of all of your your socials and platforms but thank you so much for speaking with us and me today thank you for having me it was wicked if you've enjoyed this episode make sure that you're subscribed and please do leave a rating and review because it really helps other people discover the podcast until next time stay curious